What's up, everyone, and welcome into the Buffalo Sports Collective. It is Monday, March 27th, 2023. As always, I am PK alongside my co-host, Phil. Phil, we are just eight days away from baseball back in action on April 4th. I know we started that countdown last show, but next week on this Monday show, we will like be ready to be talking about Buffalo Bisons baseball, hopefully. They're a little quicker on the trigger this year than they have been the past two seasons, but uh, we're probably going to delay everything till a Friday show to start talking Buffalo Bisons because uh, they always put stuff out the day our episode comes out. Yeah, they like to put stuff out, and not only that, like you kind of mentioned, they don't finalize the rosters, which is a little strange to me. Yeah. I mean, I get it that they, they get to wait until the last second because that's just kind of how baseball works, but it's not helpful for us that they wait until... The very last second for us to really understand who's on the team. I know you had quite the issue last season, which I wish you would have again. But it sounds like uh, you've learned from your mistake. And for the show's sake, we're going to wait that little bit extra time so we actually understand who's going to be on the team and who might not ever play baseball again that PK might draft just in case they do. Yeah. Gosh dang it. Um, But yeah, we... uh... I've been trying to keep better track of the players that they're sending down and the players that are still up with the big league club and all that kind of stuff on, yes, the spreadsheets. But I think we will have a better grasp of the team going in. And I think this season we're going to put more focus on the actual prospects and the players that might have a chance up into the big league club and just, uh, really focus on that a bit more than we have done it in years past. But if you want to continue with that and follow along with our coverage, you can follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Buffalo Sports Collective and on Twitter at Buffalo Sports Co. Don't forget to subscribe to our channel wherever you listen to podcasts. Check out our website at buffalosportscollective.com and check for the time breakdowns in the description of the show. Phil, what a weekend it was for Buffalo Sports. Man, we'll start with the Buffalo Bandits start. They somehow always find a way to make it super stressful, super exciting, and super interesting. They won it versus the number one team out in the West, the Seals, 7-6. to six. Yes, I'm not forgetting a number one in front of those numbers. 7-6 uh, in overtime. Byrne had three. Kluch, McCulley, Priolo, and Smith each added one themselves. Vince, 49 saves. Shots per 55 to 44 in favor of the Seals. Adler 12 of 17 in the faceoff dot. And the power plays were for each, four sides, for both sides, I should say. Buffalo came out two and four, and the Seals one and four. I think that might, I don't know. There's actually a lot of talking points with this game, and I, I don't really know where to start other than the fact that the Bandits once again just find a way to win somehow, even in a game that we. I don't know if we've mispredicted one this badly in a long time. Yeah. And I don't know if anyone really could have predicted a seven to six overtime barn burner between the top two teams in the entire league from the East and the West and both with incredible top four offenses and one that was number one in the entire league. And yet seven to six, I, I don't know. I don't know who could have predicted that, but I mean, the biggest thing about this game was once again, the bands found a way to win. I mean, the first, the whole game was kind of just gross. It was a lot of defense, a lot of big saves, which is is fun and can be kind of exciting in its own right. But I would have much rather seen exactly what you kind of mentioned. 
uh, you know, not not really on purpose, but I would have seen a 17 to 16 overtime victory would have been a little bit more exciting for the top two teams. Seven to six is not what I was hoping for, but the big thing is they got the win. They found a way to win, and even if it was a little bit ugly of a game on both sides, it was still a, a good victory and one that we will absolutely take. Yeah, I mean, the second quarter was the main issue for them again, and even then, they only allowed three goals. It was 3-1 to one at halftime. If you had that on your bingo card, you'd be a millionaire. It was unbelievable how dysfunctional the offense looked for the Buffalo Bandits. There was missed shots all over the place. They just were dropping passes. It seemed like it was like the I know I've referenced this game multiple or this this game multiple times on this show that it's felt like the Albany game all over again where it's just the offense was out of sync. They couldn't get anything going. They were getting inside, which was different than the Colorado game where they were getting up and close. They were getting in front of Skigliano. I'm still going to call him that way. I'm still going to pronounce the G because I don't care. I think the announcers <laughs> are saying it wrong because it sounds weird not pronouncing the G in his name. But it's it, it was definitely, like you said, a defensive battle. Both goaltenders were coming out hot. This this was the bounce back game that you were expecting from Matt Vince, who almost never has back to back bad performances. And allowing six goals versus the number one scoring offense in the entire league, not just the East, not just the West, but the entire league is a credit to them traveling West Coast. I think that you you definitely saw some wear and tear from both teams having to travel that much, including San Diego, who had to travel back from Texas the night before in a hard hard battle from the Panther City Lacrosse Club. But it, it was definitely a defensive-minded game with some offense sprinkled in on top of it. Yeah, I mean, kind of like you just mentioned, San Diego was able to put 17 up on Panther City, and Panther right. City this year is not a joke of a team. They're quite good, and they're obviously pushing for playoffs themselves. So that was a really big game. For both teams, the Seals wanting to take both games this weekend and clinch their own playoff ticket. But, I mean, Panther City is having an incredible second season, and they're a good team. So, for the Seals to be able to put up 17 on them, I mean, it just kind of shows what their offense can do. And even in this game, you can say that they were a little bit off for the Seals themselves. But at the same time, they put up a lot of shots. They still had 55 shots. It's not like they were exhausted, only put up 30 shots and only scored six times. They put up 55 shots. Vince, 49 saves is an incredible performance. So their offense had opportunities. I think the big number to me that stands out that we kind of mentioned in the preview is their one for four on the power play. I mean, we kind of talked yeah. about it early as we were watching the game and seeing Buffalo very quickly take a couple of penalties. We were like, oh, this is not a team you want to do that for. But the power penalty kill being able to hold the seals to just 25%. I mean, that literally is pretty much the game with Buffalo scoring two of four, seals one of four, and then you win by one goal in overtime. I mean, had they gone, had the seals been able to go three of four, that might have been the entire game right there. So the penalty kill was a massive, massive victory for the bandits in this game. Yeah, I mean, two of the four penalties that were called were illegal substitutions on the bench. And to me, that is unacceptable because those are self-inflicted wounds they're not like you're leaving it up to the referees is this a cross-checking is this a slashing is this a holding the stick whatever it's called illegal substitution is something that you can physically control so i think that is on 
not just the coaching, but the players, the people that are holding the doors open and letting them go. I think that needs to be revisited because two in one game and two in one half just can't happen moving forward. We said that on the show where you cannot give the Seals chances on the power play. And good thing is they only cost them once. And that's what got the scoring going in the second quarter for San Diego. But I think the second half, no penalties whatsoever called on them. I think the one penalty call that was called on San Diego the in the fourth quarter could have definitely came back to haunt them. And I, I would hold no ill will towards them complaining and nonstop if Buffalo would have scored in that power play. And that was then the goal that put them ahead and good for the win because that was a horrible, horrible call, Phil. I mean, we come on here, we try to be as fair as we can. We'll, we'll call it out when we can. But my God, I don't know what the ref was watching when he called that call on Berg because <laughs> he had every right to be angry. I would have laughed even harder if he would have gotten an extra two for, you know, chastising the ref. But that was a horrible, horrible call. I think it's one of those things where you see the second man. So it, it depends That's on fair. when the ref looked over. If the ref looks over and all he sees is Berg shoving the other player and the band of player goes down, then from what he can see, that's a penalty from the replay and what everyone else could see, you know, stepping away from the cameras and having that, you know, eagle eye view that you can actually see everything. Clearly, it wasn't a penalty. The bandits player pushed Berg into the other bandits player, and obviously, it wasn't a penalty. But if the ref is either blinded by the first bandit player or only just looks over and sees Berg shove the bandit player to the ground, then from his point of view, I can see how it's a penalty. I understand, like you said, Berg's, you know, frustration and being extremely upset because he was shoved down and I, you know, possibly deserved a penalty of his own as far as the bandit player who should hit him. So, I mean, I, I get the frustration, but I mean, it's one of those things where the second man in can sometimes get, be the only one who gets the call. And if that's what the ref saw at that moment, that's what the call was. But again, from the replay, obviously it was not a penalty, but the bands didn't do anything with it. So luckily, I mean, in, in a weird way, luckily that was not the, game-winning goal because it would have been a little bit awkward and definitely good fortune for the Bandits. But either way, that late in the game, it put the Seals at a disadvantage being on the penalty kills. So, I mean, it still helped the Bandits for two minutes toward the end of the game, even if they didn't score on it. So, I mean, I'll take it for some of the the calls that we've seen go against the Bandits, but it it was uh, questionable at best. Yeah, and a good thing there wasn't a makeup call after the refs saw that and go, okay, we gave one of the bandits here. Now we got to give one of the seals moving forward. But I also just put it out there. uh, Bandit land. You do get calls every once in a while. It's not the league. This is proof. The league's not out to get you. So can we just put that to bed? Finally, I know it won't happen, but just, uh, you know, wishful thinking, but the, the big issue I have besides the offense, which we can go out and talk about in a bit because the defense and the goaltending has carried this team the last four games. It's been unbelievable what this, what Matt Vince and the defense in front of him has been able to do while the offense has been struggling, even though they're getting players back. And, you know, that's what we talked about in the last show. But the, the end of the game was the big issue that I had for me was you, if Spanger got the ball back with around eight seconds left. Now, originally I was thinking, okay, they're just going to wait to call a timeout until he crosses half. So that way you're over half and you don't have to do that stupid little sprint or pass quick over the line to try to get a shot here. But then he passed it over to Nick Weiss. It looked like there was almost a two-on-two or a two-on-one for the Buffalo Bandits' favor. 
but then we kind of did a circle back and then called a timeout. I, I don't understand what the thought process there was between Spanger, Weiss, and JT because it seemed like it was very dysfunctional at the end of the eight seconds there. And again, they won in overtime. There's only so much you can critique. They got the win. Win's great. Move on, move forward. But you still got to break down the game. I think that is one another thing with like the illegal substitutions on the bench. It just seemed like they were not unprepared to play. It's just, it seemed like there was lacks, like laps in judgment or laps in something in that game where it just didn't feel like a typical Johnny Tavares, Buffalo Bandits playing style that whole game. It just felt something was off that whole time. I don't know if it was the trip out West. I don't know if it was the nice weather. I have no idea what it was, but it just felt, everything's felt a bit off that game. Again, they got the win. They, they withstood everything that was out there, including a Chase Frazier injury and warmups. Hopefully it was just, you know, something tightened up or something like that, where it's not just re-injury. God, let's hope not. But I, it just felt like something just wasn't clicking that whole game for me. I was going to mention it's probably the West Coast and nice weather that they don't get to uh, Time's play in all that often. But you, you already kind of mentioned, I mean, even seeing them warm up outside, I feel like they must have been loving trying to just shooting around outdoors in some really nice weather compared to what we're dealing with over here in the wonderful world of spring Buffalo. But for that last play, I think that's exactly how you described it is not to give them any excuses. It was obviously botched either way you look at it, but I think that's kind of what happened was they seemed like they might've had a two on one. And if you're Johnny, you kind of got to let the players, I would assume take it upon themselves. Like, Hey, if you think you have an opportunity in this situation, Go get it. You know, go get the win. I'm not going to call a timeout while you're in the middle of a play that you think you might have a scoring opportunity for. But then, like you said, they like they went for it, but then stopped and didn't go for it and then called the timeout. And I think that's kind of just a lapse in judgment on the player. I think either you go for it all and you take that two on one opportunity and you just kind of it is what it is. Or you have to pull up immediately and say, "Okay, I'm just going to turn this over to my offense and let them call a timeout. But they literally got caught right in between two ideas, like you said, and that I think is kind of what happened. I don't think it's really on JT. I would assume in that situation, you kind of just want to let the player handle it and, you know, whatever he's feeling in that moment, if he wants to go out and think he has a great two-on-one break, I mean, imagine if you call that timeout and all of a sudden your player's like, hey, we could have scored on that. What are you doing? Like, why are you cutting me off in the middle of a transition play? So for the coach, I think I would also kind of step back and let the player handle it, but I think we... got caught in between was it Spanger or Weiss? Uh, it was Spanger that passed it over to Weiss. Okay. Both of them, I think, got just right. caught in the middle of the idea. And then all of a sudden, like you said, eight seconds goes down to two. You call your timeout and there's absolutely nothing you're doing with just two seconds. So I, I don't know. It was definitely botched. And like you said, the whole game was a little weird. The offense is, it, my goodness, I really don't want to say it's concerning, but it's really starting to concern me. And it's frustrating to say because they have an incredible offense and there's so much talent there. And I know they're missing players. And for the longest time, the left side is what had all the injuries. Now the right side, after having Fraser back for one game, now he's out again for who knows how long. Nanakoke still hasn't been back in quite a bit. So now your right side's hurting a little bit, especially to kind of try to have to mix it up right in warmups when you're kind of game playing to have Fraser in there and then someone else steps in. But We've been without Fraser all season, so it's I, I don't know what the issue is, especially against teams like the Seals, who don't have a great defense, haven't had great goaltending this whole season so far. I mean, they, they're they not bad 
but they're not good. I think they're ranked 10th in goals against average, and you're putting up, you know, seven goals. So, I mean, the offense is absolutely starting to get a little bit concerning. I mean, there were one or two times, I think, that they're right back to that unselfish attitude, and it's too unselfish. I mean, there was a time, and I'm not really going to question the player himself in most situations, but there was a time that Dane got himself into the middle by making an incredible move. He was a good, you know, few feet from the net right in the middle of the goal. And instead he passes it way back outside and a shot wasn't even taken. Like it's those situations where I think they're just being too unselfish again. And we saw this a little bit last season when you just had so many weapons on offense. No one really wants to take that shot. They're looking for the perfect play, that perfect pass, trying to set everybody else up and not themselves. And I think in, some situations they're just going to have to get a little bit more selfish. I think Dane ended up with the most amount of shots for the Bandits. I think it was around 11. Everyone else, once again, single digits. So, I don't know. The offense is is definitely off. I know it's going to take them a little bit of time to gel with all the new players coming back from injury, but they need to fix it sooner than later, especially with the talent that they have. They just should not be being held to this low of a score. Yeah, you are correct. Dane Smith had 11. Byrne had 8. And then Kluch and McKay both had six. Everybody else was three or under. So, yeah, you were right on that. But I think that is my biggest concern. And, again, you're three and one in this four-game stretch where the offense has kind of gone into a shell, if you want to call it, since the Halifax back-to-back weeks. That's my biggest concern right now as well. And, again, you're 11 and three. You got four games left in the season, two of them versus Toronto. You got a a New York and Albany sprinkled in there as well. So you got a top defense twice moving forward versus Toronto, the best defense in the league, best, one of the best goaltenders in the entire league as well. So you're, you've definitely been able to, again, I go back to that quote where Ian McKay said, Hey, we didn't face adversity last year. We're facing adversity now. You're 11 and three leading the East best team in the NLL right now. You have the tiebreaker of the top team in the West. You have the tiebreaker over Rochester and Halifax and uh, Philly. You're going to try If you win next week, you got the tiebreaker over Toronto. You're sitting in a great, great place, but there's still issues going forward where you're winning in spite of the concerns that we have in the last four games. They've scored 10 or less goals in every single one of them. This is a team that last year had, what, 13 and a half, 14 goals a game, including this season where they had over 13 goals a game. It's kind of slipped now. In the last four games, they're averaging 8.75 goals for and 9.5 against. When you're averaging less than 10 goals a game, you shouldn't be averaging less than that goals for. It's, again, it's they're they're doing amazing things. They're winning in spite of what the concerns are from us. But they got to get it going. They got to get this gelling better. Like Burns still getting all his. Dane's still getting all his. It's just I I don't understand. Like you said, with all the talent that is on that offensive end and how long they've been together, I don't understand why it's taking so long to gel. I mean, back to back weeks, they've probably missed the net as many times as they've hit the net, and that's very very concerning. Where you know. You, you can correct that kind of stuff. You can get it back in. It's I, I can't explain what's going on with this offense. All I can say is thank God they have Matt Vince and that defense stepping up because wh- how often do you win a 7-6 to six game against the top scoring team in the league? It's rarely ever. I think this is the, and I think Dave Buchanan tweeted this out. 
it's the lowest goals for win in Buffalo Bandits history. And <laughs> it might be one of the lowest goals for win in NLL history. We would have to look that up. But the offense is, is a bit concerning for me. Yeah, I mean, the, the biggest thing is that they continue to find a way to win. And right. I mean, that's kind of the theme of this year and kind of just the thing that a championship type team or a, you know, high playoff caliber type team will do is in spite of whatever adversity you're facing, you will find a way to win, even if it means holding the number one offensive team to six goals and you putting up seven in OT with Priolo's third goal of the entire season, Captain on that incredible transition run and he had one heck of a game but yeah I, I don't know I don't know what the offense's issue is and again it's a light concern I think because I we know they have it in them we know I mean like you said right. I mean yep. last year they were averaging 13 14 goals this is the same talented group we know it's there we know that they can do it it's just a matter of putting it together and it's just concerning that it's taking this long to like you said for these guys to gel who know each other extremely well, play together all the time. I understand they were off for quite a bit from injury, and it takes a little bit to get that back, but they just got to really start flowing and clicking sooner than later. I mean, four games left before playoffs sounds like enough to fine-tune, but like you said, two of those are against one of the best defenses in the entire league, so it's going to be a very good where-are-we type situation to kind of see where your offense really is. I mean, this was another one, but... Really didn't think the Seals would be able to hold a talented Bandits group to just seven. So, I mean, that is concerning. And when they play Toronto, it's going to be concerning all over again. But, I mean, if I mean, it just takes that one that one game. You know, I mean, it just takes that one high-scoring game to get your team back in it. And even if you go in against Toronto and you win, you know, 12-11, 13-12, if the offense has a better night than the defense – that's fine, and that's the kind of game you're hoping for. I just don't want these sub-10 games anymore. I mean, not only are they terrifying and tough tough to tough to watch, but I'd really just want that offense to, to get going and start clicking. Five and two when they're trailing, trailing in half, Phil. That's a pretty huge, huge credit to the team just going in, right in the ship, figuring out and moving forward because, like we said, their third quarter is the best. The second quarter is the worst. So if you can try to adjust that second quarter again. They got outscored 3 nothing in this one, which isn't horrible, but again, you had one goal at half. That's to that me that's horrible. unacceptable. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, you outscored them 6 to 3 in the second half. So that's great. <laughs> so it's it's a tale of both both sides of this. It's it's a bit it's it was just a weird game overall. Like I said, it it just didn't feel even bandits esque. Yeah, like, neither side really felt it right. just felt like even the intensity was, I mean, it was there at times, but I expected this game to be a little bit more of a heavyweight battle with just even chippiness and fighting and the teams were just kind of there. I mean, there was, there was a little bit of it here and there, and there was definitely some anger when that Priolo goal game went in. I don't know if it was Weiss or somebody else who was standing next to a Seals player as Priolo scored and just kind of like yelled at him quite a bit <laughs> as he was pumped up that the Bandits won. So I'm not saying that the intensity wasn't there, but just felt a little bit flatter of a game than you would expect it. I mean, that Colorado Bandits game, despite the score, was, you know, in incredibly intense the entire game. And this one was just a little bit less so. And just I think we just expected a bigger, larger, more intense number ones in the entire league kind of game. And it just, I mean, it was a seven... 7-6 OT victory so I mean we'll take it and it was just it was just a weird weird game but you got the win 
And that's all we can ask for. Another weird way to win and add it to your lead, which is 11 games won now. It's just it, it this this team that's been decimated by injuries, finding different ways to win. Their back end is pl- playing unbelievable. Matt Vince, another goaltender of the year performance this year. It's just everything's coming together. It's just the the one piece that I didn't think we would have to worry about all season in week, what is this going to be, 18 in the 15th game of the season for the Buffalo Bandits is the offense. And that I, that's something I never thought I would have to say. But again, next week, biggest game of their season, I would call it. If they win it, you know, you got that tiebreaker over Toronto. You got a game and a half or probably two games. If I do the math right, two games lead over Toronto with three games to go. That's the biggest. It, it's as of now, if they lose it, I mean, I don't even want to talk about it, but if they lose that game, the final matchup versus Toronto will be the biggest game of the year. But this will be next week is the biggest game on their schedule as of yet that if they can take them down, you're pretty much you have everything in your hands to make your way to be the number one seed in the NLL once again this season. And the championship will once again run through Bandit Land. But Phil, there's nothing else you want to add to this one. We'll go to the BSC update. I am up. 21, 24.55 to 1863.72. I am very, very quickly approaching that 300 point lead, but I put up 12 or 24 and a half. You put up 18 and a half, even though we were both missing a player. Yeah. I mean, it was, it was a dud, real dud of a game. The real, uh, real town game. And Evan Priolo pretty much was the, he was Thanks, know, arguably the best player out there. I mean, burn, Definitely helped with his his little hattie that he snuck in there. I mean, we, I don't think we gave him enough credit for his hat trick because everyone else only got one goal. So, I mean, you did say Byrne got his, but, I mean, congrats to Byrne for the uh, hat trick and continuing to find incredible ways to score. And, obviously, he's on your team, so that was a bit of a bummer. Yeah, those three and a half games that he missed, he would be up there for the goaltending lead. He would yes. be or goal scoring lead. He would he's already got 70 points in 11 to probably 10 and a half games cuz he didn't play that second half versus New York, I think it was. But just just think where he would be if he didn't miss those three and a half games. He would be up there with Dane Smith with number wise. It's just it's a disappointment that that part of a season was cut short, but you know, you got four more games to just light it up. And Jeff Teat, uh, slow down, buddy. He only had seven, so he did slow down a he bit. He did slow That's down, but so did say. the Bandits. That is true. Uh, yeah, this was the game that we thought he was going to make a comeback. Everything was there except for the goal scoring. But we'll move on to the milestones here. A few of them happened. A few of them you're going to hear again next week because they didn't happen. But Dane Smith, he was only two points away. He now crossed the century mark for the sixth time, fourth straight time, and six of the last seven times. Just unbelievable what he has been able to accomplish in his career and he's only 30 so he's got quite a while way to go um steve prillo two cost turnover so he now claims and has fourth place all time in NLL history he officially passed chris corbealy was tied with them going into this one and he officially has fourth all to himself max adler he won 12 face-offs so that definitely means he passed darius kilgore for six all-time in buffalo bandits history unbelievable in less than two years to move all the way up there jt he is now tied with troy cordingly for second place in wins for buffalo bandits coaching history and for the points for dane smith he had Five of them, right, Phil? Let me look at this. He, yes, had, he had one goal for assists. 
Yes, five points. So he is up to 103. And I just minimized this. So this is going great. He is now tied for eighth place in single season Buffalo Bandits history with most points. He, uh, he, I believe he is still on pace to break his own record, but it's pretty much even now. He can't get less than like seven and a half points per game the rest of the way. So Toronto has found a way to have a huge game. Yeah, big time. We need the offense to figure it out very quickly. But uh, yeah, some big milestones happen and some bigger ones might be happening next show because players stayed a little bit, but they didn't go all the way to what they needed. I think the two big ones on this kind of milestone watch was Max Adler, like you mentioned. I mean, he got it. He's already six now. And I mean, Darius Kilgore, all time passing somebody when it's only what, a season and a half? Two seasons? Yes. Season and a half, pretty Close much. Close to two seasons, yeah. Is pretty insane. And then JT getting tying second in the Bandits coaching history. I mean, he also has not been coaching all that long. So pretty incredible to have those two guys who are, you know, newer to their spots, just climbing extremely high in Bandits coaching history and Bandits player history for faceoffs. So we will go over the playoff watch that we started last show. Toronto was in Albany, and they took care of business 11-9. Halifax was in Philly. They took care of business 14-10. Georgia traveled to New York. Georgia won 13-8. And then Rochester went to Vegas, gambled a bit, and lost it all. They lost 12-7. So the current standings in the East look like Buffalo is in first, 11-3. Uh, second place is the Rock 11 and 4. Again, those two teams match up next week in the biggest game of the season so far. Rochester lost, so they're in third place, 9 and 5. Halifax moved up to 500, 7 and 7 in fourth place. And your wild card team currently is Colorado at 6 and 7. So they will be moving over to the, well, they're already in the West. They'll stay in the West and face the number one seed over there if that finishes. Uh, Philly is in second place in the wild card race there at 6 and 8. I don't really. The end of the season is going to be insane with some of these playoff and the wild. We knew that going in, seeing Toronto twice, though. I don't know. I don't know. Like, would you want if Buffalo is able to get first? Would you want Halifax to just climb and somehow take third and face Rochester instead, or hope an East wild card like Philly gets it? I I don't know. I don't feel. Ask me in three weeks. Right. I just don't feel great with a lot of these sneaking in playoff teams that are pretty much elite. I mean, Halifax, I know they're seven and seven, but they're a really good team and uh, not one I would love to start in a one and done situation with. I mean, even Colorado, I know they'd play in the West, but still also a little bit scary. I don't know. I don't like uh, I don't like how it's shaping up, but Buffalo has to take care of themselves first. We did say this in the offseason as well, that the East just got they're the beast of the East now. It's just everybody got better, even in the midseason. Mitch Jones went to Philly. What the heck? Like last year, we were going, all right, I really want Albany. I really want Albany. I know they got Benny and Reza Terrace, but beyond that, they don't have much. I really want Albany. And then they got Albany, and they took care of business in the first round. Now it's like one through five. All of them are threats. Well, in, in a one-game series, right? That's you the can big lose. thing to yeah. start yes. with a one-and-done is the issue. I mean, if, if it was all three-game sets, I'd feel a little bit more comfortable. Like, all right, right. screw up once in a close game, whatever. You're probably going to win two of three against a inferior team, hopefully. But one-and-done, I mean, and anything can happen. You could win seven-six overtime against the Seals. I mean, it's just right. one-and-done's not a comfortable feeling. I mean, in Banditland, it'll be a little more comfortable, but... Still not great. 
Uh, great. And on our next show, we will preview the biggest game of the season so far, Bandits at Rock. It's gonna be a it's gonna be a good one. Make sure you are in your seats for when that game kicks off because you will not want to miss a second of it. So Phil, we'll move on to the Buffalo Sabres here. It's going to be a change of tone, and I'm going to be eating my words a bit here. But uh, back-to-back victories, unbelievable performance by the Buffalo Sabres. Friday, 5-4 to four victory over the Devils. Cousins, Tage, Quinn, and Tuck had two of them. They were the goal scorers. UPL 27-31 save shots were 31-26 to in favor of the Devils. And then flash forward to Saturday versus the Islanders. They won 2-0. Yeah, uh, Oposo scored his 10th. And then Skinner finished with an empty netter to finish it off the 2-0 victory. Comrie, 26 of 26 saves. Great shutout by him in his return from injury. Shots were 35-26 to 26 in favor of Buffalo, and their record sits at 35-31-6. Phil, uh, take it away before I have to eat my own words. Yeah, sure, I can do it. Uh, the, the Devils game was a, a fun one to watch. Great to see them get up really early. Started to slip away a little bit, but they were able to hold on, which is huge for this team. It doesn't often happen. They do like getting up early and then losing it and then barely holding on seems to be their MO this season, but really fun to watch a lot of these players. I mean, Tage, we haven't seen him have a goal like that in a long time, I don't think. And it was just something we saw that we got really used to early in the season was something he was doing pretty much on a game by game basis, but to see him win a puck that was free burned by the defender, making an absolutely incredible move. It was just Again, what we got so used to seeing early in the season, it was great to see him get one like that. Cousins, Quinn, and Paterka all looking really good. I'm really excited to see the development of Quinn and Paterka as they continue to grow. They just are playing better and better. I mean, Quinn with 14 already, his goal was quite solid. His pass over to Cousins and Cousins with that ridiculous, you know, seemingly easy, but really great NHL video game type move to burn the goaltender on his backhand and then tuck just continues to prove what he means to this team and what he means to being back in the lineup. I mean, his two goals were incredible. And again, it's something you were missing for so long while he was injured. So to have that back is clearly making a difference for this team. I'm still going to be a little frustrated here, Phil. Um, They've won besides these, besides that new year, New Jersey game going into that one, they had won two of the last 12 games. And then you turn in this back-to-back performance. Where was this 12 games ago, Phil? Like, this is what's frustrating is a, a team like this because they're so skilled. They're so talented. They have such young pieces that are growing into such huge roles for this team. And then they just put up a dud the last 12 games. And then they come into the Devils, who are a guaranteed playoff team, and they just run them out of the house in the first and second period where, yes, the Devils came back. They cut it to five to four. He withstood the last 10 minutes. It was a huge performance by them. But then it's just, Phil, where was this 12 games ago? That's what's so frustrating about this because they were so stinking close to breaking that playoff drought. And, yes, they're still alive. They're six games out. They got a game in hand over over Pittsburgh, I think it is, two games in hand over New York, New York Islanders. So they're not dead and buried. They got, what, 6% chance to make the playoffs. But – where was this so long ago? Like, I understand Tuck was hurt. I understand he's coming back. But it's it, that's what's frustrating is you, you were able to capitalize on this in front of you. Again, maybe it's because they were wearing the goat head. 
maybe that's the reason behind this. That's the only explanation I have. They came out of nowhere, this type of game. I was fully ready to come on here and another, what, six to two loss. I was fully ready for that. I was not ready for a five to four victory. I wasn't ready for a two nothing victory. So I'm kind of eating my words, but it's just, it's, it's, I understand. We've said it so long now. We're not expecting this team to play the playoffs. We were never expecting this team to make the playoffs. We just wanted to be in the race the whole time. And I think they are that. But game 60 to 70, it was so frustrating because you knew what they were capable of. And they just showed it on Friday night. I mean, this is what you were asking for. I mean, we... This is what I was asking for. We knew for the most part at this point, even with their lovely 6% chance, they're they're hanging on by a, a very loose thread. But they're hanging on. But I mean... Which is how they've been playing recently. You kind of asked, you know, get some wins, show that this, you know, you are that team that we thought you were, that you can build on into next season. Don't just kind of let the season die out in misery and just kind of limp to the end. Go out and show that you have some fight in you, that you can win against some really good teams like the Devils, like the Islanders who just recently beat you. I mean... It was exciting to watch. It was fun to watch. It gives you a smidgen of playoff hope. But like you said, I mean, where where was this a few games ago? And this is exactly the kind of thing that everybody knew that they couldn't have a bad stretch this late in the season. And that's exactly what they ended up going on. And now you're in a situation where you possibly could have had a pretty solid chance of making playoffs. And now you're barely hanging in, but you are hanging in. And like you said, it's just... It's a, it's the thing that Buffalo loves to do, which is get their fans really hopeful about something, and then it all comes crashing down. And like you said, I mean, we weren't expecting this team to make playoffs, but you open that door even a little bit after 11 years, and we're absolutely going to just shove that door open with all the hope we possibly can and wait for our hearts to be crushed. But it was just really exciting to see them get back to playing the style of hockey that we know they can. I mean, a really exciting, high-scoring 5-4 win against the Devils, and then beating the Islanders at their own game and Comrie getting an incredible shutout in that Islanders game. I mean, it was just a really good revenge style type game against the Islanders. Yeah. And that Islanders game where you knew exactly the style they play, they like to grind it out. They wait for you to make a mistake and then they capitalize. Well, that's what the Sabres did right back to them. It wasn't a high scoring game. This is one of those times where the Sabres proved, Hey, we can win a game where we don't put up four goals because I gave that stat. They were what, like five twenty-five and or twenty-four and something like three. Yeah, not good, not good when they don't put up four goals. Well, Comrie came in, he settled it down, he got the shutout. Ocposo was capitalized when they had to, and then Skinner capped off with the empty netter. So it was really like a zero-zero game going into the third period. It was just, it's back-to-back gutsy victories against teams that are higher than you in the standings. What when it comes down to it, you have to beat the teams that are behind you and try to capitalize on the opportunities that are presented with the teams ahead of you. And they did that in back-to-back games. That's what again why it's so frustrating to see back-to-back games like this happen. And then the 12 games before that, you did that. It's just, I know they're growing pains. And I understand that, that this this team is still the youngest team in the NHL. They're growing, they're learning. But it's just amazing what happens when you get a goaltender that doesn't put it, allow in four goals and you have to put up four or five goals every night. It's just, it, it's it's nice going back there and seeing a goaltender, which we I've given Comrie a bunch of crap all season because <laughs> I don't think he has performed what he can be. But... It's it's amazing what can happen when you have a goaltender back there that can make the saves needed, bail you out when you need to, and put up a, a shutout. I think is this the second shutout of the year? I think. I was going to ask if it was the first. So. Oh no, Anderson yeah, had his 
bajillion right. yes, saves. Anderson hit. Yep. Shutout. So yes, I believe it's the second shutout all season. A little bit different. Just, uh, differently done. I thought the Islanders game. Like you said, they definitely beat them at their own game. I thought the Sabres outplayed the Islanders the whole game. I think they had a lot more high opportunity chances, whereas the Islanders had one or two or three good chances that Comrie had to come up with. But I think Varlamov had to come up with a lot more solid saves. And I think the Sabres were really taking it to him for pretty much the whole game. I don't really think the Islanders took over the game at any point. I mean, you still need Comrie to come up with those saves. Like you mentioned, getting a shutout is still massive. I mean, essentially winning the game pretty much one nothing, And even that goal coming, I believe, six minutes left in the third. So it wasn't even like you scored early and you were just hanging on to that lead. You scored extremely late. But like you said, they changed their complete style of play to play like the Islanders do and beat them at their own game, which was just really great to see. And Middlestad, I thought, had a really good game against the Islanders. I thought he created a lot of offensive opportunities. Sadly, it didn't really result in much, but I thought he looked really good, and I thought he looked a little bit more like the player that the Sabres were kind of hoping they were getting this entire time, but I thought he has slowly come back alive as this season has you know moved forward, and I think his development is moving once again, and I think he's just turning into a bit of a player that they can hopefully rely on as a solid third-line player, whereas someone like Olofsson is just all but vanished, as as has some of the other players on this team. But it's good to see a player like Middlestat, who you and I kind of left for dead, kind of showing a little bit of spark and a little bit of fight and really coming around strong at the end of the season. Yeah, I think you summed it up perfectly. I think he's a third-line player for this team moving forward and if you can get him back after this year i think he's got one more year like two points something left on his deal but bringing him back third line winger great love it but it's uh it's a weird feeling here phil uh to be uh back excited for games again maybe <laughs> levi because our next uh, next that's the other week, huge question though yeah. if montreal you, think you have a chance against for yes. playoffs do you do you throw your Rookie to the Wolves, right. if you have any chance or, you know, inkling yep. that you might make playoffs, do you really throw that away? I mean, I'm not saying Levi's going to come in here and blow the game off, but it's his first NHL start. Do you really allow him into this situation where you might, you know, have an opportunity to make playoffs? Do you really just give it to him no matter what? Or do you kind of let him wait until if, you know, if you lose a couple more and you really think, okay, there's no way, then you let him play? Right, that's my thinking now is going into Friday's game, I was like, yeah, Levi's going to get the Monday start. Montreal, he grew up loving Carey Price. He grew up rooting for Montreal. Home game versus a team that's lower in the standings. Only got 64 points. On the 27th. Yeah, this is, right, this is, this is the game that you would throw him out at. And then they won back-to-back games and are back in the playoff match. And now do you still toss out your... Guy that just signed two weeks ago versus a team in a must-win game. It's. It, I think our mindset has changed, and I think uh, the Sabres' mindset might have also changed as well. But we won't know that until uh, after the the morning skate, and probably not even until the right before game time. So, <laughs> but Phil, uh, BSC update. I put up twenty-one. You put up eleven and a half. Are you making any changes to your team? Still just screwed, essentially. Yeah, yeah, pretty much. Bro. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But we knew that once you drafted your team. Ah, uh, wow, wow, that's not. Come on. I have to throw in a shot every that's once in a while. It's been too positive of a show. <laughs> that's fair. No, I don't. Uh, I can't. I don't, there's nothing I can really do to help this team out. Wait, do you? Do you? Who's your forwards? Who you got? I got Tuck Cousins and Quinn. 
Todd Cousins, Quintage, Skinner. And you got Middlestad as your third. Yeah, there's just no one else that is uh, shining bright. Yeah, I'll stay. Yeah, nobody consistent. Stay. Yeah. yeah, no. Yeah, I will also hang out with my uh, Darlene and Stillman as well. Stillman has not done much that I was hoping for, but you know he's the third pairing defenseman. I wasn't expecting much. So wild card watch here. We can actually talk about it again. Uh, New York Islanders, seventy games, seventy four games played, eighty three points. They got New Jersey on Monday and Washington on Wednesday. Two huge matchups for them. Pittsburgh, seventy three games played, eighty two points. They got Detroit on Tuesday. Florida, third place, seventy three games. Played 79 points Monday versus Ottawa, Wednesday versus Toronto. Buffalo sit in fourth. They have games in hand, 72 games played, 76 points. So they got one game in hand over Florida and Pittsburgh, two over New York Islanders. Phil, they're still alive. They got 20 points left on the table. They can get up to 96, but Florida can get up to 97. Pittsburgh can still get up to 100, and New York Islanders can still get up to 99. But the teams that are below them, have 92 and 93 max in a point total. Washington is right below them, tied with 76 points, 74 games played. They got New York Islanders on Wednesday, and then Ottawa rolls into Florida on Monday, 73 games played, 75 points. Still alive somehow with 10 games to go. Four at home, six away. I mean, it's exciting. It's it's exactly what we wanted their season to be. Again, we're getting our hopes way too high because we are beyond over this drought of no playoffs. But at the same time, 10 games left. You're still in the hunt. You're still there. It's, you know, it's not mathematically impossible. It's not even a extreme hope or anything. I mean, it, it's there. You're you're in it. You got to probably win most of your games, if not win out for, you know, you, you definitely need some help outside of that. But the fact that there are 10 games left and they are still in it, that's pretty much all we wanted from this season, all we could ask yep. for, and they're, they're doing it. Just no more uh, giant losses and... Giant losing streaks. Just finish, even at worst, six and four, seven and three. Have a winning record down the stretch, and you will cap off the season as success. Rather, whether you make the playoffs or not, if you go out and go three and seven down the stretch, two and eight down the stretch, that will change my mindset for the last twenty games. But if you finish this with a winning record and you know finish ahead of Washington and Ottawa, which is what I was calling for last show, while you were calling for tank. I'm just going to toss that out there. But, yeah, it's – Still want <laughs> I'm just hoping they stay in the race and competitive to make it more interesting to watch these games the rest of the way. But, Phil, final segment here. We have to crown our weekly MVP. And there were some nominees for hockey. But I think when you win in overtime once again – and I think we've started this as a tradition. When you win in overtime – you have to be crowned the BSC Weekly MVP. That goes to Steve Priolo. Not only did he have the game-winning OT on a cost turnover pick, go down there and just bounce it past Gigliano. He had 13 loose balls. He had three block shots and two cause turnovers. Just an unbelievable performance for a guy that's been leading this team all season long, who's been leading this team for years and years now. Well-deserved. I know you didn't get the belt in San Diego, but you got the game ball and you got the weekly BSC MVP. Yeah, he played, obviously, as the team's captain, as a leader on defense. He held the lead in pretty much every statistical defensive standpoint you possibly could. And then, you know, just snuck in a nice little tidy overtime winner. I do love that you keep calling him Scigliano, even though that is uh, not his name. name. I mean, every time you say it, I want to say, like, Squiggly is what I'm immediately thinking of. Squiggliano is uh, maybe what his 
new BSC nickname is going to be. Squiggy. And we, we do understand how to say Shiliano pronounce, you know, we, we, we know what his actual we refuse. pronunciation is. We do, I guess we're just refusing to uh, call it correctly. So Squigliano is his name, and it was good. It was a good bounce shot. I mean, when he was running down there, I was really hoping they would do a something on transition, you know, either pass it or shoot it, just kind of go and take it. And he ran forward, and he was like, you know what? I'm going to get my third goal of the entire season. Let's uh, let's get home. We've had enough of this West Coast trip, and, and there they are. Away they went. <laughs> Nice uh, pick play by uh, Nick Weiss, too, who gave him a bit of a lane there. He was yes, the one right yes, in front of the, leading the charge, yeah. But, Phil, uh, anything else you want to add to this one before we shut it down for another wonderful, fabulous work week? No, I think we're good to, good to close it down. All right, perfect. This is uh, one of our shorter episodes, and I love it because now I'll be able to edit really quickly. So on our next show, we got two or one Sabres game to talk about. I apologize. The Montreal game. wonder if... Uh, Devin Levi will be making his first NHL appearance, or will they continue with the goaltenders that are on hand right now? We will also preview the biggest game in Buffalo Bandits season right now versus the Toronto Rock. It's going to be a electric game out in Hamilton. See, even Toronto doesn't like you, even though I called them to make the finals. But we can scratch that. I'll scratch that. Uh, yeah, on our, <laughs> it's going to be a very loaded next episode, and uh, we will might even toss in some Isabel Cup talk because they are playing at nine o'clock and they still got an hour until face up because they're playing in Arizona, which I was very upset about as well. But thank you all for listening to another episode of the Buffalo Sports Collective. Follow along with us on Facebook and Instagram at Buffalo Sports Collective and on Twitter at Buffalo Sports Co. Visit our website at buffalosportscollective.com to see Phil's weekly breakdown of the teams and his hot corner of uh, the the ref's hot corner. Ref's corner. Not even hot. That's my segment. Apologies it's cold. It's that, after Phil. the game. <laughs> cold corner it's bold after the game there you go it's bold lettering uh subscribe to our channel wherever you listen to podcasts and make sure you leave us a review on apple and spotify until next time bye bye